Investors like you have a problem. Today, most portfolios only include stocks and bonds. While it's currently performing, it's a strategy that Goldman Sachs predicted in 2023 to underperform for the next decade. Luckily, our sponsor, Masterworks Advisors, focuses on a non-traditional alternative asset, helping over 15,000 investors diversify a portion of their overall portfolios with blue-chip post-war contemporary art. Over 60% of wealth managers surveyed by Deloitte have already integrated art into their wealth management offering. And by signing up at masterworks.com slash advisors with code free, you can talk to a registered investment advisor representative who deals exclusively with this alternative asset class. So schedule a free same-day advisory call with Masterworks Advisors just by going to masterworks.com slash advisors and using promo code free. That's masterworks.com slash advisors promo code free. This advertisement relates to the provision of advisory services by Masterworks Advisors, LLC, and is not intended to offer or solicit investment in any securities and is not investment advice. Masterworks Advisors is affiliated with Masterworks. Stanislas has spun in behind here. This is promising, and he has scored! Well, the breakthrough arrives for Bournemouth, and could it be the moment that makes all the difference here from Junior Stanislas? Hello and welcome to episode 109 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. My name's Sam Davis and a very happy new year to you. I hope you had a very good Christmas, socially distanced, of course, and now we're in 2021. Hopefully, it's a better year than what we've all had to experience. On Saturday, the Cherries travelled to the Potteries to face Stoke City at the Bet365 Stadium. Could Bournemouth do it on a cold, wet, windy and snowy night? In Stoke, well, we could. It wasn't pretty, but thanks to a junior Stanislas, that's what Sky called him, thanks to his strike, we emerged 1-0 victors and we keep in touch with Norwich and Swansea at the top of the championship. In this podcast, I'm going to be joined by Jeff Hayward, Neil Dawson and Tom Jordan to dissect everything that went on. Plus, we also catch up with Daniel Storey and Nancy Frostick for a midterm EFL assessment. The championship is nearly halfway through now. So with Daniel, who's a writer for the iPaper, Football 365, and is also on the Totally Football pod. And also Nancy, who's the Sheffield Wednesday correspondent for The Athletic and also writes for the iPaper. We get their views and also a bit of an inside scoop on what went on at Wednesday, plus it seems like Eddie Howe was offered the Forest job. Interesting. We'll hear more from them later in the show. But first, let's do this. Do you remember? Do you remember? So, of course, every match day, an hour before kickoff, AFC Bournemouth release their team news on all their social media channels. And until now, Cherries fans have just tapped away on Twitter, but there's a new live video show that is coming to your Twitter, courtesy of Kirk Tovey and Craig Beasley, who are two regulars that appear on our YouTube channel. You've probably also heard their voices on the pod as well. And it's a video reaction to what JT has picked. Only about 10, 15 minute video. If you want to watch it, you can follow Kirk on Twitter at AFCB Gary Neville. That's AFCB Gary Neville. And one of the stats that he brought up on this week's show really intrigued me and it forms this week's Do You Remember question, which involves Dominic Solanke. When was the last time Dom Solanke scored in two consecutive games at senior club level. So this doesn't include internationals, okay? At senior club level, when was the last time that Dom Solanke scored two matches in a row? I want the month, I want the year, and I also want the club as well. The answer will be at the end of the show. So then, 1-0 at Stoke City, and it's time to bring in the boys.
So joining me today, we've got pod regular Jeff Hayward. Jeff, how are you? I'm good, Sam. Very good, thank you. And uh, smile on your face after a 1-0 win. Always good to win ugly. That's what I like to hear. Tom Jordan's here as well. Tom, how are you, sir? Yeah, good, mate. Happy and relieved after that one, I think. Good, man. And a happy new year to you all and also to Neil Dawson, who's here with us as well. How are you, Neil? I'm very good. I'm very good. Who said they couldn't do it on a wet night away at Stoke? (laughs) Well, we certainly did it, but it wasn't a pretty watch, was it, Jeff? Not pretty. Um, And... You know, I think I think credit to Stoke. You look at their strengths and their their strengths. One of their key strengths is stopping the opposition playing, and I thought they stopped us pretty effectively for much of the game. Um, we didn't help ourselves, but you know, we got the win. Who cares? Who cares, Neil? When you saw Brentford and Stoke, the two fixtures that we had in the last week or so, how many points were you wanting us to get from that? I mean, obviously six, but what was your reasonable tally? I think I hoped for four Hmm. Um, uh, and with a bit more luck, we could have got four as well because Brentford was a pretty even game. Uh, And uh, so, yeah, four four points, four points would have been good. The the, the most important thing to do with everyone else winning was not turn that into one or zero. But weirdly, Tom, when you're looking at performance levels, if you if you weren't to know the result, you look at that Brentford uh, performance and think, that's the one that got us the three points, not the one that we saw yesterday because um, two very different performances. Yeah, definitely. And that's where you've got to look at the opposition. And sometimes, like we've alluded to, you just got to find a way to win. Uh, we, I expected Stoke to be like that. They've got a lot of kind of old school players, haven't they? John Obi McHale, uh, Allen, people like that. And it was just about getting over the line, just hoping that make sure we keep the back door closed and hopefully nick something. And that's what we did. So it's an important important thing to have when you're not playing well is to, to grind it out. And everyone, virtually every team in the league, will look at Stoke away on the fixtures and think, oh, just get out of there with something. And we've done it. So got that one out of the way. So, yeah, I'm the same as Neil. I wanted four. Four I would have been, been happy with, but um, we'll take three. Saw the uh, team at 6.45 and before that I saw some tweets coming out from Dan Rose from the Echo. The stadium was plunged into darkness, but they got the lighting back and it was snowing up there. And yeah, conditions didn't look great. You know, it certainly seemed cold. It felt cold even, you know, down here. But anyway, the team came out at 6.45, Jeff. And two up top, Surridge and Solanke. I think a lot of us seem to expect that. I think um, the team selection was probably driven by a couple of things. Uh, let's be honest, uh, Brooksy was uh, looking like he needed a rest after that Brentford game. He wasn't on the top of his game, and I, I think it was a, a good shout to give him a break. And uh, Phil Bill, star of our midfield, just sink in for a bit, um, was not available. And, um, and I, I, th- I think... Jason probably looked at things. What I was quite pleased about was he chose Sam above Josh because I think he could have easily mm. just gone for King and, and Solanke up front. But but I think the way that Surridge and Solanke played at Barnsley was right to give that another go. It's a bit of a weird one, Tom, actually, because in the last match against Brentford, he brings Josh off the bench and not Sam Surridge, yet opts to start with Sam. What's the, what's that all about? Yeah, I'm not sure, really. I agree with Jeff. I was, um, I was glad to see the... To see that team, to be honest, um, probably uh, nudged along by Billing being unavailable as well. Doesn't seem to to start Gosling very much at all. Um, so, yeah. It was, and in terms of that, I think I wonder if in the week he just maybe felt that, that Josh could stretch him a bit more of his pace. Um, but, yeah, I was more than happy to see see that line up. Diego come back in. Yeah, it didn't it didn't overly surprise me. And, um, yeah, I was quite happy with the selection. And like uh, Jeff said, it was definitely time for Brooks to have a bit of a bit of a rotation onto the bench, I think. I think Billing had a had a knock or something like that, and it's, it's strain, yeah. groin strain, right? And I was looking at it thinking, oh, you know what? I think this kind of team that we're playing against could do with us having Phil Billing in there. How times have changed, Neil? He's been uh, a really influential player recently, hasn't he? How fickle we all are. So uh, <laughs> yeah, now now we weep into our uh, laptops when we see that he's not playing. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, well, that's to his credit, isn't it? Because um, lots of players have come back and won fans over at this club. You know, Harry Arter being a prime example. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think that influenced his decision to pick Sam Surridge because I think he knew that 
he needed an extra body in the box defending corners um, without Phil Billing. So, uh, and I think Josh King is not a great defender of crosses, um, whereas Surridge is. So I think he he probably thought of uh, thought of playing Josh King, but I think not having Phil Billing and knowing that Stoke would have about seven six footers attacking every set piece, I think that helped with uh, get Surridge a spot um, in the in the starting lineup. But, I mean, the first half, I thought, was was pretty poor, Neil. I mean, I don't know what you thought about it, but obviously we were playing the three at the back, which really means the emphasis has got to be on the wing-backs to get further up the pitch, but they didn't seem to. Stoke seemed to no. press very high, and it meant that Lewis Cook and Jefferson Lerma seemed very exposed, and they overran our midfield really easily. And uh, But they didn't do much with their possession. I mean, they had a few shots, a few good crosses, but other than that, they weren't that much of a threat. But... All the same, it was still a bit worrying, I thought. Yeah, I mean, you could pick any podcast from the last 60 where we've played five at the back and have, and just just rec- just repeat <laughs> something that one of us has said. But Because, um, I mean, I liked, I liked two up top in the Championship. I'm not so sure in the Premier League. I like it in the Championship because I think we can get away with a back four because we, we've got better players up the pitch. We can play higher up the pitch. Um, we're not as exposed to pace as maybe we are in the Premier League. So two up top doesn't bother me, but the, the five at the back irritates me because you're relying on two players effectively to get the ball in. Uh, and uh, when those players are either Kelly or Rico, neither of which are, you know, we've discussed long and hard, they're not great wing backs. They're probably better full backs. Um, Adam Smith having a really cold spell for me in the last few games. He, he And he's not a cross of the ball. He tends to charge into the box. Uh, rather than cross the ball. So I just think you've got Surridge and Solanke up front and then you're not crossing the ball to them. Um, to me, you need wide players and overlapping fullbacks if you're going to play two up front. Um, but no, Stoke Stoke didn't do an awful lot. Um, but, uh, they, I mean, we gave the ball away a lot, but I was looking at the yeah. statistics. They gave the ball away more than us. And I think that was a problem. Both sides got into uh, good areas and then the, the, often the ball to, out, out wide was poor. So... Um, there were chances at both ends, which I'm sure we'll come to talk about. But in terms of a spectacle of football, um, it was hard to keep your eyes on it at times. Yeah, no, agreed. You know, Saturday night prime time, not the best watch. And you know, having said that, we had a fairly decent chance early doors from the uh, left hand side. Diego Rico, ironically, putting in a, a fairly decent cross, one of his better ones. And Sam Surridge just like turned, you know, almost 180 and tried to fire it into the bottom corner, but just sort of mistimed his shot. Not really sure what happened. I think he almost toe-punted it in the end, Jeff. But it was um, it was actually a good chance when you look at it. It was a good chance. It sort of skewed off his left foot. And um, and you kind of thought, oh, well, if we've started promisingly like that, you know, let's, let's wait for the, the flurry of chances to follow. But, but that actually, what, what we had two real efforts on goal in that first half, it felt like anyway. And, and I... I think uh, I think Neil's right. You know, rinse and repeat the advice on playing five at the back. One of the things that struck me last night was just the distance where we're we're playing we're passing out from the back so many times within our eighteen yard area or near the corner flag. You know, trying to play pretty football and get and that's easier to press than if we're further up the pitch, right? So. Get further up the pitch because what they were doing or what we were doing was lumping the ball forward from our 18-yard line, which is no service at all to our to Solanke or Surridge. You know, against three big centre-halves, they, they couldn't win anything. And the midfield was so further back that they couldn't pick up the second ball. So we kept conceding space in our own half, which was super frustrating. We've got to push further up. You know, you can play the pretty football further up, but not so deep. And it was... It was a bit toe curling. I don't know. I don't know about you, Tom. I was I was full of expletives in that first half when I kept seeing the ball careering around the back line, like you know, it was a hot potato at times. Yeah, it was. It was really frustrating to watch one net. And um, but like what Neil said, I, I quite like the the two up top. But I remember the um, Barnsley game, and I remember Smithy had a brilliant first half, and Brooks was in front of him, and they were linking up really well. And I think you've almost got to look at it in the way that. You know, Diego had a bad game and, and Smithy was was poor as well. And they're, they're the two that we're asking to to create things for us. And I just feel like both of them have had better performances when they've got a man in front of them. Um, and they're being asked to do so much. And 
yeah, it was one of them I was, I was surprised. I think you go away to Stoke, you know what type of game it's going to be, but I can understand the two up top, but I didn't think we needed that kind of 5-3, whatever you want to call it, at the back, really, going there. be interesting to see what he does with, with two winnable home games uh, to see what he does there, because it would they're the type of games I would like to see us go back to a four, potentially. But yeah, it was, it was really frustrating. And like you say, we weren't... Another player that I think we are missing that gets overlooked is Chris Meppham in the sense that I think he gets us up the pitch as a defensive unit. I like the way Mepps kind of gets the ball and look, and straight away, he's a couple of touches and he brings yards on and gets the players up the pitch. Whereas we seem to be getting it last night and just standing <laughs> still and just passing like that. And um, yeah, so I think we're missing Mepps in that, that sense. But yeah, it was de- definitely hard to watch at times. But um I think a lot of it was down to the wing-backs having poor games. And if both of them are off it, we're really going to struggle to give the right service to that front two. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. They were off their games. And Stoke had their moments early doors with a couple of shots that were blazed over the top. Uh, one of them from Stephen Fletcher. And most of them seemed to occur in midfield where we gave the ball away and they managed to sort of counter fairly quickly and they cut through our our defence with relative ease. And then there was um, a Begovic... I think he was forced into a save from a low Joe Allen shot, which uh, came about. That was after Diego Rico screwed up and intended clearance. And Stokes pressing was, you know, fairly impressive, I've got to say. And it seemed to be like from that moment onwards throughout the game, there were a number of long balls by our midfielders. And maybe that was a sort of direct tactic to maybe compensate for the wingbacks not being effective because Lewis Kirk and Jefferson Lerma firing through balls with varying degrees of effect. I mean, that one from Lerma onto the chest of Solanke, who who turned around the corner of the defender and nearly put Sam Surridge through. I mean, that would have been a cracking goal. But, Neil, we seem to sort of start to deploy different tactics as the half went on. Yeah, we certainly got longer and longer um, in terms of the way we were, uh, were looking to play. And I think that's part of the frustration when Jeff was talking about the expletives because their back three, I thought, were excellent. Um, Suter, the, the three centre-halves that they had, Suter, Chester, and I can't remember who the other one was. So there was the odd moment where Solanke was able to turn and do something, but Surridge did nothing against their back three really all game. And uh, and, Solanke, uh, and Solanke had the odd moment, but normally he was he was bullied out of it in the air and on the ground. Uh, so, But I think it was because we were so far back, we got trapped so far back that we were forced to go long because that's all we could do. And I think the other key moment in the game, uh, you mentioned Stephen Fletcher. Uh, if you have the name Steve Fletcher, do you can you only play as a target man, do you think? You can't, <laughs> you can't imagine a little skipping Steve Fletcher winger now, can you? I think I think those two have ruined it for, for any little little boys that call Stephen Fletcher <laughs> <laughs> but the um, so yeah, so uh, he, him going off really helped us, I think, because they, they, they were gonna they were looking to target us, and he was starting to look quite dangerous. There were some crosses that came in after he went off that I think he could have made something of. Yeah, agreed. And uh, as I alluded to, I mean, yeah, Lewis Cook and Lerma firing these, but I mean, there was one that Dom Solanke chance, Jeff, where it was a it was a absolutely devastating ball from Lewis Cook I thought and Dom Solanke just met the keeper and just lobbed it a little bit too much yeah I was channeling Kirk Tovey thinking he's going to score he's going to score typical wasn't it? yeah he, he just got he just got too much on it what he obviously didn't account for was was the wet and windy stoke conditions that we all know and are so familiar with um he just got too much on it and and uh, a lighter touch that's a goal uh if he'd have hooked it Sam Surridge would probably have got in for a tap in. So just one of those things, you know, you kind of, you kind of see those chances during a game and you think maybe it's not going to be our night. Um, I mean, it's terrific ball from Lewis Cook. And actually actually the, the, you talk about those, those long sort of through balls that we were playing, which was obviously, if you listen to JT after the game, he was talking about, he'd obviously been working on that as some sort of tactic for the game. Um, I think, I think the disappointing thing was that we, our delivery, those sorts of balls that we weren't quite good enough. You know, we could often see the pass, but they just, we just couldn't pass it right. And, mm-hmm. and um, Lewis Cook was the the man you wanted to have the ball for that sort of thing. I mean, Jeff Lerma was, was you know, he was passing balls out of touch, you know, with no pressure on him at times during that game. Just wasn't really on it. Or he, he was blasting them like uh, exocets. I mean, Solanke mm-hmm. must still have a bruise from where he chested that ball down. Mm-hmm. He hit it like a rocket at him. Um yeah. We all clamoured for Sam Surridge to be starting, uh, and like Neil said, I thought he had a, he actually had a 
fairly poor game. Uh, mm. it, it certainly wasn't one of his best. And I noticed that him and Dom Solanke at times, when those long balls were being fired and you're down the centre of the pitch, they were often making the same run. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, I mean, what one thing he did do of note was win a free kick on around 35 minutes, which I think Stanislas Turkin whipped it around the wall. I think it was going wide anyway, but it was a good save from the keeper. Mm. And then, um, as we spoke about uh, earlier, that uh, Lerma ball through to Dom Solanke. But as a half, it was... Yeah, pretty turgid, I've got to say. And there are other players that uh, I haven't really mentioned yet that weren't particularly great either. I mean, Junior Stanislas was a bit absent, Tom. Yeah, he was. Um, he seems to be, um, at the moment, he seems to be really hot and cold, doesn't he? And uh, some t- the problem with Junior is it seems like if he's not having one of his top games, you hardly know he's there. I, I feel for him in the sense that he's going from different positions from game to game. I think he ended up at right back. You know, he's playing in the hole, then he's playing on the wing, then he's playing wing back. So it must be difficult for him to get that sort of um, consistency and kind of relationships with players. Um, but yeah, it was it was a weird one. And like you said about um, Sam Surridge, as much as they didn't get the service, he wasn't doing what I expected him to do in terms of bully the, the centre-halves. They were, I think Neil alluded to it, they were bossing him. Um, but he wasn't harrying himself, making himself a nuisance, which I kind of expected. And I think, I wonder if it was, uh, like Jeff said, they did, Jason did say about them long balls and... I wonder if their centre-offs were getting so much joy. The only thing they probably didn't have was that pace. And I wonder if that was why we were trying to turn them a little bit more. And it was it was quite fitting that that's where we got the goal from. But because um, they were, as a free, they were very good. And I felt um, mm. they deserve credit in making Dom and Sam have a really difficult time. So you're JT, Neil, half-time. What on earth do you say to the players? Or do you make any formation changes? What was your thoughts? What do we need to do? Well, Get I the think... out, Neil. That's what you need. <laughs> I think well I think he I think what he what I would have done is probably what he did do because he we played noticeably further up the pitch in the second half and we put a bit of a press on um uh because we'd stopped we stopped we were well, we we didn't press from the start I don't that might have been a deliberate thing I don't know um I always assume it must be because surely not all the players would disobey the orders all at the same time but yeah. so clearly he 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 and he said afterwards that he told the team to be more aggressive get higher up the pitch uh, and put a bit of a press on and uh, and and that 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 got us a little bit more into the game but still our passing was oh. uh, was was so awry but i mean i'd have been tempted to have made a change at half time and uh, um change the formation gone to a back four and uh, gone to a front three um uh, personally, but uh, but he didn't. He left his changes to very late, and he was getting quite a bit of stick for it on social media as well. Um, and then, of course, it it you become a god because um, the goal goes in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, regarding the formation, you say that. I mean, without Stephen Fletcher, as you say, Stokes' forward play seemed to be pretty blunt. So, yeah. was almost playing three at the back a little bit too negative for us? Yeah, I, I, I don't think. I, and that was the point earlier on. I think unless you play against. Norwich or uh, Watford, they're, they're probably the only two squads that could compete with us. We should be balls out in any game because I think even if we go 1-0 down, as we know, because we're second top scorers in the division, um, it doesn't really matter. It's the same as Eddie's championship side. We could have to go 2-0 down and you'd still be sat there thinking, I'm fairly comfortable with this. Uh, it's not like the Premier League, is it? So I, I don't understand it. I would I would go for every game. Um uh, and uh, you can always shore up shop once you've got a lead with 10, 15 minutes to go if you want to. Yeah, I mean, Jeff, I don't know about you, but I was just looking for a little bit more intent and a little bit more desire. And there were little key moments that actually, uh, you know, made me lick my lips. But then I was let down with the final pass. I mean, do you remember that um, 40 yard run from Diego Rico that looked really promising? Plays it behind Dom Solanke and it goes out for a throw. Yeah. Lloyd Kelly, fast, zippy passes to the feet of the opposition. Um, I was noticing, if you, I mean, I thought, I thought Lloyd Kelly did all right actually yesterday, but there were just these little moments that are just so frustrating. And in the final third, it, it was almost like it was a training drill at times and there wasn't the desire to get forward. And, you know, we tended to sort of play it, you know, around their midfield and, you know, defensive banks that had already lined up. And yeah, we just found it very difficult to break through. Frustrating. Yeah, I think the uh, I think John Obi Mikel did a brilliant job on Junior. Uh, I mean, he was he was he was all over him pretty much. You know, from when they figured out where Junior was playing, he picked him up and he he was he he bullied him, um, which 
which was effective. I thought um, I thought their their sort of uh, their wing backs, so McLean and the other guy, did a really good job on on stopping Smith and Rico getting forwards as well. You know, I think Adam Smith was a bit intimidated. You know, he got a few hefty challenges that didn't help him. Um, and I think Diego Rico. You know, there was a time you talk about that that great brilliant run. I mean, it was, you, you thought, wow, this this is beautiful football. And then he passes to nobody. It's like, what's going on? But there was another time where he's crying out for a first-time delivery into the box. He takes another touch and they get organised yes, and it's yeah. easily cleared. So the, we've talked about this before. You know, Sometimes our players, when they're not performing, it's the basics that suffer. You know, Playing the ball behind your teammate so they have to go back and get it. And there was a lot of that going on last night as well. It just, we weren't, we didn't seem to be on the same wavelength. And um I did think it had nil-nil written all over it, so delighted to be proved wrong. Yeah, and you mentioned that first-time cross that Diego Rico should have done. I think that's when Lerma played it out to him, and it sort of reminded me of Dom Solanke's goal at home to Reading where the ball was fed out to Lloyd Kelly. He didn't take a touch, he just whipped it in straight away, yeah. uh, and that's what we needed, but it just held up too long. And So changes were made, and you have to remind me of them, but Brooks were, you know, came on, Tom, and you know Brooks, when he does come on, I think he's... He's not been great recently, but he just does give that that extra dynamic, doesn't he? Yeah, and he also just just worries the opposition, I think. Um, and they automatically think, oh, he's a danger man. Do you know what I mean? And um, he said, we know he's a clever player. He held on to it a bit too long when he first came on, but he's still a clever player and gets in good pockets and things like that. We didn't really, um, we took off Soros, didn't he? So um, changed system slightly, yeah. but obviously kept with that three at the back. I think in terms of that three at the back, I agree that I didn't think it was necessary yesterday. But if you're going to play it, it doesn't have to be negative in the sense that you play through at the back. It means you should have an extra body to be able to play out from the back. But that means you've got to play it quickly. There's no yeah. point of, of Begovic rolling it to the centre-halves, them knocking it between each other and then going long. Well, there's no yeah. point. You might as well only have two centre-halves. <laughs> I think, and that's another case where I think it's difficult when you don't. I think Mepham's probably our best player at that. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not I'm not a fan of it unless unless it's implemented in the right way. And we just weren't. It was just a pointless having three of them there at times. Um, but yeah, I think the change was like I think Neil said we we're crying out for it, and um, probably later than than I expected. But um, like we said, he, we got the goal, so he looks like a genius. But um, it was the sub. It was the obvious sub, wasn't it? Um, as much as I will say, a lot of people wanted Stanislas to come off, which I'm pleased he didn't. But he's one of them players, like we said earlier with with Junior. He's he was pretty invisible, but that's kind of why you keep him on the pitch yeah. for that for that very reason. But um, yeah, it was the, it was the right change, and uh, I think if anything, it just that second half. The only thing we did a bit better, I think we mentioned, was just literally the team went up the pitch. That's that's yeah. all that we did. We didn't change the system. We just everyone just went up the pitch, which was so yeah. obvious watching the game, wasn't it? And um, like we said, I don't know if that was something they were told to do and second half push up a little bit more. But regardless, that definitely helped us just because we got a little bit higher up. Mm, yeah, so talk us through the goal, Neil. I think it was Lewis Cook who started. I think it was Adam Smith who fed Lewis Cook and threw ball, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I think Smith won it back, didn't he? Gave it to Cook. Cook, Cook um, I mean, he does it. He does that so well. He took two or three strides and then ping. And uh, um, I thought it was going to drop um, towards... The defender's left foot, but it, at the last minute, it might have been the same wind that took Solanke's. It just went over his head, and uh, I think, I think we, if I wanted any player to be one on one, it would probably be Junior Stanislas because he's he's ice he's ice cold, isn't he? I think uh, Solanke or Surridge would have maybe snatched that chance, um, and uh, Josh King probably would have tried to go around him um, to mixed effect, but Stanislas is normally. Um, you know, money on that he, he will hit the target and and uh, and he did and yeah, thank God he didn't go off because he was he was having a poor game. I love this comment at the end when uh, the Sky well after they gave him the man of the match when he said I don't know how and and he was he was right because it was probably only Surridge and Rico that played worse and uh, uh, but like Tom said um, you leave quality on the pitch for a reason um, and uh, and and that's and that's what he did. Yeah, and you know, there's a danger, Jeff, with uh, some strikers that they almost try, try too hard to score from that situation. But on AFCB TV with the interview with Junior, he said he he didn't do anything special. He just tried to hit the ball with his left foot, you know, towards goal, you know, yeah. like under the keeper, and thankfully it went in. And it was just that composure, and yeah, you know, as as Neil said, just some ice coolness in front of goal. 
Yeah, it was a, a, a terrific finish under under pressure. Really, I mean, we shouldn't we shouldn't let this game pass without realizing what pressure that Brentford result put on us and what pressure the results yeah. early in the day put on us as well. You know, the players. I think maybe that's part of why the players were a little bit under par. They put a lot into that Brentford game. Um, didn't get the result. Stoke away is not going to fill you with a lot of enthusiasm, um, as we've said. But also, I think the fact that all the other rivals won narrowly earlier in the day. And if we lose that game or draw it, you know, we, we risk being out of touch with the top two. So cool finish. Thank the Lord that he did uh, put it away. Really good. I was just going to say, I do think a lot of the time that we almost, whether it's always the right thing to do, but we almost feel like if we can make sure that we keep a clean sheet and we don't concede, we've got enough quality as the game goes on when the other teams yeah. start to tire that we'll get a chance and we'll take it. That was exactly what happened last night. We've had a, a few nil-nils, haven't we, where that didn't happen. But there's a lot of games a season where I could think yeah. it seemed like that. Um, Wickham, Bristol City, where we just... We, but you just felt like the longer the game went on, we've just got that bit of quality and... Um, yeah, I mean, if it keeps working, it keeps working. It, it certainly won't won't great to watch. But like Jeff said, that's I think every time we've we've lost three games, we've bounced back with a win straight yeah. away afterwards, and that's that's really positive to have because, like you say, the results didn't go great for us earlier in the day. So um, that was definitely pleasing. That's my worry. My worry, but the only nagging doubt I've got is that I still think we've only played well in three games, like for ninety minutes. Um, uh, Barnsley, Huddersfield. Um, and there was there's one other that escapes me where I thought we played we played well and it's almost like how long can you go on with mm-hmm. I think the last championship side we had was a average squad really in terms of where they come from in their careers but they were dragged up by management I almost yeah. think now we've got kind of got a little bit of the opposite um, we don't seem to have an identifiable style or conviction or anything about us but. We've got players better than that league and they're digging us out results with, with moments of class. So there aren't many players that would pick that pass that Lewis Cook picked and there aren't that many players that would finish as calmly as Junior Stanislas. And I think that's my worry. I'd like to see us in the next three games push on and start to really have an identifiable style and play some teams off the park. I think yeah. it reminded me a lot, Neil, of... Uh, you remember that game in the promotion season, season away at Ipswich where... We couldn't pass the ball to each other for long periods, and then suddenly Kenwin Jones comes on and scores. It felt a bit like that, you know, like there was an inevitability that we were going to draw that game nil nil or lose when Sam Vokes scores in the last minute. But yeah, thankfully, neither thing happened. That's great. Yeah, it's one of those, uh, it's one of those results where you look at when other teams do it like Norwich have done it a number of times and we look upon it as being you know they've ground it out it's a very gritty performance uh, yeah we don't know much about the performance and you can see a lot of their fans almost complaining throughout the game and then at 85 minutes everything's good and it's it's almost the same with us and you know thankfully we had the coolest man in the stadium to then put the ball in the back of the net uh, and it was a player Neil that was uh, subject to some racial abuse online Mm. later that evening via Twitter, it's not nice to see. I mean, you know, certainly any discrimination is not tolerated, but when it's so blatant like that, absolutely horrible. It's a, it's incredible. It's still, I don't know why, it still surprises me um, because I, I think having grown up in the 80s, uh, probably only me and Jeff can remember where he, where he, you know, where he used to get booming abuse off the off the terraces and you know thank god that that pretty much died out and you get the odd idiot shouting something but you don't get that that mass heard uh, thing so i always kind of think you know hopefully it's gone hopefully it's gone i think the problem is social media makes it too easy uh yeah. the fact you can be anonymous on social media makes it even easier um and uh but it's just you know for him to have to read that it's just just in this day and age you're just like but i mean i suppose you look at the certain towns in britain still Stoke, Burnley, towns that have had good sort of like BNP support in the past, and and you know there's just a slight undercurrent, um, but it's 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 so sad in this day and age. I think with what Neil said as well, because obviously um, I wasn't around in the eighties, and um, yeah, I've I've never really noticed it in the stadium. Um, mm. But the problem is that social social media is it's getting that balance in now. I mean, we've seen the things with. For, for example, uh, Steve, with the things in Uganda and things like that, it's so good social media for things like that. Mm. That never mm-hmm. would have been, been possible before. 
But also, like, like Neil said, because you can hide behind a keyboard, no one knows who you are. And um, so that wouldn't have happened in the 80s. So it's kind of getting that balance in it because I certainly haven't noticed it really in the stadium. Like, like Neil said, you hear a few few idiots shout things out now and again, but it is that social media thing. And, and Twitter, I, think, I believe it was Twitter, wasn't it? They've, they've got oh. to get a, get a hold on it because there's got to be some sort of verification, something, because it's yeah. so easy. I could go and do it now, just go and make an account. Oh, and just and just put a, a random picture up and no one would have a clue who I am. Mm. And uh, that, that sh- and it's so easy to just message a celebrity or a footballer or whatever like that. It's um yeah, they need to they need to do something about it and not just, just hide away and act like it's not their problem, I think. Well, yeah, I mean it doesn't happen in your stadiums because there's a way for people to easily send a quiet text and you know, that person, whoever's got the ticket, you know which row they're in, you know which seat number they're in, and it can be traced back to an address unless they've sold the ticket, but you know, either which way they can be found out. And I said on Twitter this morning as well, as you said, Tom, it's simply too easy for anyone to sign up and then just post this kind of stuff. And you know, I said there are so many steps that Twitter can take that, you know, they're getting better with their retrospective action. Sometimes it used to take them ages to actually take down a tweet or an account. And they did it fairly quickly this time. But in this day and age, it needs to be faster. And there are some preventative measures that can be done. Simple verification checks or they can have some algorithms to police certain words or, you know, look at certain you know, kind of topics and like even simple things like having a 24 hour cooling off period for anyone that joins Twitter, because a lot of them will just create accounts just to post one or two things. Right. And then, you know, they're gone, have a 24 hour cooling off period. And then they can tweet after that maybe, but like you say, mobile phone verification and stuff like that, even a, a sort of eBay style feedback system where, users can who actually legitimately report uh, you know discriminatory tweets they can build up some kudos and then they can earn the power to then make that process faster when you're you know sort of reporting tweets have a having a trusted network and unfortunately at the moment it's just um you know twitter's a a funny place because you should say you get all of the good things but then all the bad things that come with it. And, you know, you get your kind of like, you know, football Twitter accounts that, you know, take the piss out of each other. We all see that, which is, you know, which is fine to an extent, but there's always going to be someone that crosses the line. It's, it's horrible to see, Jeff. Yeah, it was. And and I think the club's done a great thing in putting a statement out. It's got picked up by the, the mainstream media as well. You know, the, the, the stories on the BBC website, which is going to get you know, loads more media coverage for it. Um, and that hopefully will will create a, a, a solution for it. You know, you're right. Twitter's got to be better. Um, there are plenty of idiots on Twitter. Football is a safish place, but there are plenty of idiots who, who do the sort of thing that that person did. I, I don't even know if they're a Stoke fan. I just think they're a racist idiot. Mm. Yeah, no, completely agree. Completely agree. So um, just a couple of minutes then. We've got Oldham in the FA Cup next week. What do we do? What do we do? Is this a chance to blood the youth? Uh, players like, you know, you know like Offerball, uh, Jaden Anthony, Zamora, Tom, like, any thoughts on what he should be doing? Yeah, it's got to be on there. I mean, one to just rotate. I mean, the likes of Solanke, who's played in every game, I believe. Um, yeah, you've got to use it to rotate, but also to look at some of these youngsters and say, all right, you've got a chance now to try and give me another problem. Um, definitely, I think... He'll be. I don't know how far along. I don't think Jack Stacey will be be available. But whether we can get potentially twenty minutes out of maybe a Dan Juma or Mepham, I don't know if Carter Vickers is around. But maybe something like that. But um, yeah, just just yeah, some some players like that. I think you might see a few in there. You might see Rico potentially. Be interested to see who plays on that right side because he'll want to rest Smith. But we haven't really. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw someone like Offerball having to do a job maybe at yeah. right back or or something like that. Um, because you've got to use it to to rotate Smithy, and I don't think Stacey should be about. But yeah, and seeing players like Raquel May, like Jane Nantley, see how they get on, um, which will be, well, I'm quite looking forward to it because it's kind of a free hit. You'll have a lot of players kind of playing with a bit of no fear, which will be which will yeah. be quite nice. I don't think Josh King will be in the squad because you don't want to cup tie him. But um, <laughs> that will be interesting to see if he if he's a, if he's available. Because obviously he's not playing. So if, if we're genuinely it's a fitness thing, then he should be playing, should he? He should be in the squad, yeah. but... I don't think he will. It will be somehow. But yeah, I expect it to be a, a much changed side. Dan Goslin probably um, captain of the side out. And uh, yeah, yeah. It'd, be, it'd be a nice. And regardless of, you know, how many changes we make, 
I still think we should have should have too much and um, get through. Hopefully, can we can we just talk about Josh? I mean, if I'm a Premier League club, I'm not going to pay millions of pounds for Josh King because he's hardly played and he doesn't look match fit to me. He needs to play games. Surely he's got to play. We you buy. I think you're buying him. I, I think his agents will have touted him, and I think people will buy him on reputation because he's a guy who can score goals in the Premier League. So I, I would imagine that uh, West Ham are interested. They've always been interested. I, I imagine they'll bid, but I think they will bid low and this will become the problem. And I think it will play out throughout January. Uh, I think he'll have a mystery back injury and won't play at Oldham uh, in the Cup would be, would be my guess on it. I think people will be interested in signing him because if I was a Premier League manager in the bottom half of the Premier League, I'd sign him. Because he's because for nothing else because of his pace just takes takes teams up the pitch, so um, the problem that we'll have is because of the reasons you talked about, Jeff. He's not worth what you know the fifteen to twenty million that we probably think he's worth, um, and uh, and we need to get some money. So I reckon he'll go on th- right at the end. I think he'll go right at the end. Yeah, I agree. So are we worrying about Dan Juma? Are we worrying about Brooks? Are we worrying about Lewis Cook, Tom? No, I don't think so. I think we'll. I think we'll be all right. Um, I think, yeah, there might be. A few, I don't think we're we're not in a position where we need to where we need to sell them players. Um, I think I think Josh will will definitely be someone that will probably go near the end, mm-hmm. mainly because I think if he's a free transfer, um, then a lot of clubs will come in. It'll be harder for a team like a West Ham to sign him because there'll be more competition. Mm-hmm. Plus, you have to probably pay the agent more and more wages and things like that because he's a free. So I think we might see him go for about five minutes. I think it'd be nice if we can maybe let him go and kind of say to a team like West Ham, or oh, give us one of your one of your lads on loan maybe if yeah. there's a, if there's someone around, who knows. But um, I've, I've got no problems that we'll, we'll keep everyone else. Um, they're all on decent contracts and things like that. So I think we'll be okay. Um, I'm more excited to see whether, nothing to do with us, but whether Norwich keep hold of Buendia. Mm, because I yeah. think... I think he's probably, I'd like to say Lewis Cook, David Brooks. I think he's probably the best player in the league, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And he will be, um, so if they lose him, they'll be, and I, I think I think teams will come in for him. So yeah. um, that'll be interesting. Arsenal are, uh, Arsenal are watching yeah. him. And, and talking about Arsenal, surely a player with a great FA Cup illustrious pass that needs to make his debut against Oldham's Jack Wilshire. If we lose Josh King or whatever happens with Josh King, but we get Jack Wilshire in, I'm happy. Yeah. Just get him until the end of the season, see what he can do. Yeah, I'd love that. Yeah. I read a piece last week on on Josh that was comparing him to Ryan Fraser, and I'd just like to say that he is no way comparable to Ryan Fraser. Not yet. No, not yet. Agree. If he doesn't get a move, let's see. Yeah. I agree. Well, should, it's going to be um, an interesting uh, month for AFC Bournemouth because there are some winnable matches for us. We've got Oldham on the 9th, Millwall, the rearranged match is on the 12th. And uh, yeah, a good chance for us to pick up some points, I've got to say. And uh, maybe we can confirm our place in the automatic spots. You never know. Um, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Sam. Tom, as ever. Thanks, mate. Cheers, boss. And Neil, nice one. Thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure. So absolutely superb to catch up uh, with those three and talk about uh, a win that we ground out. Now, we've had better performances this season where we've not got any points or we've got less points or fewer, should I say. So, yeah, pretty pleased with that and hopefully onwards and upwards. Yeah, the FA Cup and then Millwall on the 12th. Anything can happen. This is Mark Pugh, the foodie footballer, and you're listening to Back of the Net. So next on Back of the Net, it's a bit of an excerpt from our latest chat with Daniel Storey and Nancy Frostick, two very experienced correspondents and journalists when it comes to championship football. They joined us at the start of the season to give their predictions and news on the league that we were re-entering for the first time in five years. But we caught up with them just before New Year to get their assessment on what has gone on so far. Let's introduce our first guest. Uh, firstly, it is Daniel Story, who you've seen on the pod before. Daniel, how are you? 
Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. All things considered. Good, good. So Daniel, you've seen him before, but he's a football writer and podcaster, broadcaster, whose work can often be seen on the BBC, in the iPaper, doing locks for the Premier League, the Totally Football Pod and beyond. Also, as you'll have seen from our previous video, a dedicated Forest fan. So it'll be interesting to find out how he feels after the start of the season. Um, also with us, uh, we have got uh, Nancy Frostit. Nancy, how are you? Yeah, not bad. Thank you. All good. Good, good. And again, a familiar face, a Sheffield Wednesday writer for The Athletic. She's also penned articles for the iPaper too. Plenty of experience covering the championship. And Nancy, I mean, it has to be you where we start. It's been a tumultuous week or so at Hillsborough, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, Christmas, uh, definitely not the time for job security if you're Sheffield Wednesday manager. It's just, um, yeah, really out of the blue. Um yeah, Tony Pulis sacked on uh, Monday night. I've lost track of the days, but oh, yeah. yeah, he's um, well the third manager that this owner has sacked, kind of around Christmas time. Uh, Carlos Carvajal went, I think that was Christmas Eve, and then Jos Luca, who replaced him, went a couple of days before Christmas as well. So it's um, clearly that time of year where kind of you start to see managers dropping. But I suppose the big story is that he's only been there for ten games, so it's. Um, yeah, hunt for a new manager much sooner than I thought any of us would have anticipated. I haven't checked the stats, but I reckon that must be Pulis's shortest reign at any club ever. I think so. I mean, he's definitely Wednesday's shortest, um, shortest reigning manager now, um, which is kind of a bit of an unfortunate sort of title to pick up. But yeah, I, I would imagine. I, I don't know where he's been before, where it would have been any shorter than that. But it's, yeah, barely any time, 45 days, I think, in total. So, you know, give us the inside scoop then, Nancy. I mean, you know, what's happened at Hillsborough? Um, has the writing been on the wall for quite a while or did it come as a shock when you heard the news? I think it was a shock. There were some rumours swirling. Um, so Wednesday beat Coventry the last game before Christmas and um, Tony did his post-match presser. It was completely normal. He'd gone off for a drink with Mark Robbins in his office at Hillsborough and they, I think they must know each other having a good catch up anyway. And then my phone started lighting up. Wednesday fans messaging me saying, "Oh, is he gone? Has he gone?" Because there was some sort of rumor on Twitter that basically he'd walked. Um, and like, as far as I understand, that wasn't the case at all at the time. And then, you know, two, no, not even two games later, one game later, um, he's obviously been sacked. So, um, it, I mean, the games. The results weren't good enough. I mean, he got four points from his last uh, two games, which was the same as Gary Monk just before he got sacked. So it looked like things were just picking up again uh, or starting to pick up. Um, but beyond that, I mean, you know, one win in 10, it's not enough if they want to stay up. Um, and luckily they won against uh, Middlesbrough last night. So it's uh, it's a difficult one. I suppose it's, it's quite a brave call, I think, to obviously make that change again having you know realized that maybe it's not worked so soon so can i can i just ask nancy gary monk beats bournemouth sheffield wednesday win one nil against us gets fired yeah. pulis beats Coventry, gets fired i mean daniel you'd love a manager like that for us to win games for you wouldn't you <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you have to score goals to to win those games we're probably not in any real danger of that at the moment but um yeah i mean I think we're kind of suffering exactly the same or some supporters feel they're suffering exactly the same in that the manager was brought in as a as a stabiliser, not necessarily as a firefighter, but certainly as a stabiliser. And the supporters understand that there's going to be some pragmatism in terms of the style, but the results have to match that style. And there's no doubt, certainly among supporters at Forest, that, that Chris Hutton's under pressure just as, as Tony Pulis was at Wednesday. Mm. So you had Lamucci up until I think October the fifth. Was it was it a managerial sacking that you expected at the time? Yeah, I, I, I was I was always of the opinion that well, I always thought that that he would probably be sacked early season, and therefore I I, I actually thought that it would probably have been best to kind of cut our losses in the summer and say thanks very much for that, but the run we finished the season with we don't think will change and. Forest being Forest, they they allowed him to sign twelve players in the summer and then sacked him after four games, which means that Chris Hutton then comes into a squad of with thirty five players and he's always liked having a small squad and 
it's incredibly hard to manage you know just down to the sheer logistics of it you hear some of the forest players talk and they say that you know we're, we're in a lockdown situation in the east midlands at the moment so there were times when you know we weren't really training and we were signing players that we'd never met before and then suddenly you're thrown in a dressing room and told to play with them and it's it's not easy um and the club is you know i think the club is is at fault for that but i i still think that we thought we'd see a little bit more from from Hewton so far yeah it's uh interesting times uh, sam i mean what do you think here's bournemouth we we've kept uh jason kept faith with jason tyndall and you know continuity is a big thing and then we've got Clubs in the championship. I mean, I could not believe Watford sacking their sacking their manager for being fifth. I mean, oh, well, I wouldn't say I couldn't believe it based on their form. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I felt sorry for the guy because, as you say, yeah, um, with Ivic, they were sat in fourth position. I think they'd had a, a couple of bad results, not not necessarily awful, but that's the sort of quick fire nature of how they do things. It's that you know sort of model, but. Yeah, we'll talk about Watford, I'm sure, because there are a few managers whose uh, positions at the moment are maybe under a little bit of scrutiny. One thing I'm interested with uh, uh, with uh, Daniel, especially, is Harry Arter, obviously with the Bournemouth connection. How's he done for you so far? He's, he's done okay. Um, he the 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 fee was undisclosed, but the rumours are is that that Forrest paid. A fair amount of money for for Harry Arter. In fact, he was he was possibly the third most expensive player in the championship this summer in terms of signed. Um, and the reality, he he doesn't play a role in which, um, you know, he's not a flair player. He's a he's a gritty midfielder. We already have plenty of those. You know, we signed Jack Colback as well on on pretty good money, um, and he's done a job in inverted commas. But he's, you know. He's another one of those that I look at the squad and think, did you really need to spend X million pounds and give X, X tens of thousand pounds a week to a player like this? When, um, to my mind, the squad last season just lacked a little bit of depth in key areas. It needed a winger. It needed a backup striker. It didn't need three more right backs and two more left backs and three more central midfielders and two more centre backs, which is what happened. And um, there's already reports of, of four of the players we signed in the summer being being sold back to Greece in January. So it's it's that kind of mess. It did seem a surprise to me to have Harry Arter playing the number ten role when they played at the Vitality over this season. I've, I've never seen never saw him play that for us ever. And there he is, you know, playing off off your big striker. It's like okay, okay, understand that. Don't. <laughs> no, there's been some some odd tactical decisions so we say it's as if there's that the, both Lamucci and Hewton have got so many players that they feel um I'll say obliged to use because you know there are always reports of of you know the owner wanting to be hands-on shall we say um and it feels like they they kind of have to try everything in order to to force results and yet I actually think the more we chop and change the team the harder it is to get into a rhythm where where the players get something going and you just look at you know the first half first halves recently have been have been dismal and i just think that's a case of players not really knowing how to play with each other what about you nancy what do you what do you reckon who's next in the the relegation savior to come and come and help you escape relegation oh gosh fly me i know it's hard to say i mean um you'd imagine i know like a lot of the the usual names have been linked and obviously people that were linked before because it really wasn't that long ago. So um, likes of Paul Cook and, and Danny Cowley again, sort of those names coming up. Um, I wouldn't be surprised actually if this time Wednesday go a bit more inventive, maybe look to someone who's managed in Europe or um, further afield, just because if I'm being brutally honest, I think it's going to be a hard sell. Um, you know, I don't think Eddie Howe's another name that's come up and, I mean, really, I, I don't necessarily see why someone like him or even Danny Cowley would take the Wednesday job just with the situation they're in and maybe the kind of fragility of, of the position. Um, so I think it might take maybe looking a bit further afield. Um, so there's been a few sort of... Uh, random names thrown in today and tracking all those people down and kind of finding out what might be happening is is a little bit difficult but I think maybe another surprising part of you know them sacking Pulis's um 
they didn't have someone lined up and it was the same with Gary Monk. It's not like they had that. I think with Forrest, wasn't it very quick turnaround between Lamucci and, mm. and Hewton? So it, it's not like that at all. And I think you see it at Derby where they're kind of in this weird limbo with Wayne Rooney and, you know, they've got a takeover maybe and will will that, you know, will they stick with Rooney or will they get someone else? Well, Wednesday are in a similar position. They play Derby on Friday. That's a massive game for the bottom end of the table. And you just think, you know, Neil Thompson was a caretaker manager. He was a first-team coach um, under Gary Monk as well and has sort of stayed on through both. And he, he did a good job with them. I, I don't think they'll stick with him, but... Um, you know, if you can get another win against Derby, then you wonder if there's some sort of rolling uh, limbo like like with Wayne Rooney. So he's less of a name, but he knows the players, which was a problem um, that, that Pulis kind of owned up to in a few presses was basically that he didn't know the players that well. Um, and so he was chopping and changing quite a lot and there were injuries and, um, you know, he's playing... Kadeem Harris, who's probably Wednesday's best winger as a striker and things like that. And it, it was just a bit forced in some areas where you could see they were they were struggling a bit. But, um, yeah, it'd be interesting. It's it's interesting hearing Eddie Howe's name mentioned because, uh, you, you, Jeff, I think we all know that Eddie Howe gets a nosebleed any, any more north than Oxford, doesn't he? So whether he'll take up that position, I don't know. And judging by what he said on Sky's Monday Night Football, he always seems to be very choosy and not desperate to go into management, unlike you could say some appointments like, you know, I don't know, Sam Allardyce for West Brom, another one of these managers that is consistently on the merry-go-round. We, you know, that's another, you know, very, you, well, it is a surprise, but it's also not a surprise. And, you know, you just wonder how many more clubs have managers like Tony Pulis got left in them. Oh, sorry. I would just say, I think, Nancy, it's got to be Nigel Pearson, hasn't it, for you? Uh, the fans would well, love to see it, to be fair. But although it, I think he's said before, basically that because of his association with Wednesday he'd maybe be reluctant and like he lives in the city and I think that maybe is a factor for him so whether this is the right time I mean what you know it would be great stuff for Wednesday because he he's a solid manager he knows what he's doing in the championship and there's that emotional bond which I think would immediately really kind of win a, win a lot of the fans around um because they've you know understandably not got a lot to be too pleased with at the moment no, I, do, I, I think Eddie is, is being very sensible in that, you know, I, I don't know whether he would admit it, but I suspect Sam Allardyce took the West Brom job because it was it was the first one that came along rather than necessarily he thought it was the best fit or the best hope of staying up. Whereas Howe's in a, in a, in a slightly tricky situation whereby his next job is, is really quite important for his, for his reputation. Now, that's not really his fault, but when you stay at a club for so long and um, do great things there and eventually things kind of peter out slightly that next job is huge because he needs to prove that he's Eddie Howe Premier League manager or rather than Eddie Howe Bournemouth manager so it is a big decision for him I completely agree with Nancy I think he would be mad to to take the Wednesday job and I think he would have been mad to take the Forest job and there were reports that Forest tried to get in his ear as well before or um, while Lamucci was still in a job or before they appointed Hewton. So I think it would be silly to take either of those. Ours is a ours is a short, short-term spot. There's a, a running joke about a, a sign at the club training ground where the manager's space park says short-term parking only. And that's about right. Short stay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he could have taken the Forest job and then got a Premier League job the following June because he, he wouldn't have lasted long at our place because no one does. And if you want to see more of that or hear it, whatever, uh, you can go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash AFCB podcast. And uh, if you click into the Press Pass playlist, you can see that there. Over a thousand of you have enjoyed that one already. That was a relatively short excerpt. We were chatting to them for about 55 minutes. So it was great to be joined by Jeff and those two to chat cherries and championship. So there we go. That's another back of the net. That was episode 109. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, 
Make sure you leave us a review on your podcast app. We would truly appreciate it. So earlier in the show, we asked you a question courtesy of Kurt Tovey, who brought out this little gem about the last time Dom Solanke scored two games in a row for his club in the league. It was actually in the Eredivisie for Vitesse Arnhem. And it was on the 18th of October 2015. So it's over five years since Dom has scored two games in a row. He nearly, nearly notched at the weekend, didn't he, against Stoke. But we have no fear about him because what a player he is turning out to be. And I'm sure there's going to be many more goals in the locker for him this season. So there we go. Appreciate your ears for the last hour or so. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next time on Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Could it be the moment that makes all the difference here from Junior Stanislas? A bit to do, I think Stanislas, please stay calm. Puts it low, always the hardest one. Podcast Network.